Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today, we unpack the likelihood that inflation in Canada will fall as expected, and which sectors of the Canadian marketplace look positive in the near term. Host Pamela Ritchie speaks with Max Lemieux, Portfolio Manager of Fidelity True North Fund, a Canadian equity fund that seeks to invest in companies that are expected to grow over the long term and that are trading at reasonable valuations. Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem spoke recently in Quebec City and reaffirmed that no new rate hikes will be needed if inflation falls as expected. But meanwhile in Washington, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that further rate increases are ahead after January's extraordinarily strong jobs report. Max shares if this news will impact his investment thesis and also reflects on the diversity within Canadian markets, noting that the market is more diversified now than in the early 2000s, with energy and resources now not even 30% of the market. Max also shares that each sector and each stock has its own characteristic, and each stock will have its own bottom before or maybe after the market has reached its own bottom. This reaffirms that it's the portfolio manager's job to take a detailed look at all the earnings and data and then determine whether a stock is very close to its bottom or peak. Max and Pamela also discuss recession probabilities, private markets, and housing in Canada, among other topics. Today's podcast was recorded on February 8th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Okay, so let's let's go to that. I mean, this has been um, an interesting time. You you've said before you don't stand still, um, but this has been a very interesting market. How do you stay positive? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, and uh, it was a pleasure to share my views. Um, so I, I want to remind um, our unit holders and investors that you know we often talk about when is the next bottom um when's the next peak in the stock market and 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 look sometimes it comes and nobody see it coming I still remember 2008 where you know it was two years in the making but people were still shocked um but the reality is um each sector each stock has its own characteristics and each stock will reach its own bottom before or maybe after the market has reached its own bottom. And that's our daily job to watch each companies that we do follow, making sure that our uh, Excel spreadsheet is accurate, making sure that we can look through the earnings downside and look at what's the next peak earnings. And as we work on all these assumptions, we can determine if a stock is maybe very close to its bottom or very close to its peak. And that's how we buy and sell stocks on a daily basis. So therefore, I just want to remind people, be careful about thinking about this large, this big event. Is the S&P 500 going to go back to 3,500? Should it go to 3,200 based on earnings declining to the tune of 10 or 15%? It's hard to predict when and if, but each stock will have its own bottoming process. And, you know, 
my approach has always been also incremental. And usually I will dissect the company and I'll put a first 25 bibs, a first 50 bibs. And then over time, as they continue to report and deliver on their strategy, I'll be adding to these positions or, or exit those positions. Uh, so that's been the approach so far, because of course, I think the landscape is a little bit more murky, obviously there's geopolitics. Um, and, um, you know, it's not only about China, it's also about Ukraine. And of course that has consequences on natural resources. And, uh, as we know, unfortunately, the longer that conflict lasts, um, Canada can benefit from it just because it's the mirror image of Russia in terms of natural resources. So, you know, more LNG being shipped to Europe, obviously it's beneficial to North Americans. And uh, so there, there are a lot of ramifications and, and the whole onshoring, reshoring trend, it's still very, it's probably at the beginning. Um, and uh, that will be a long-term trend unless China and the Americans make peace uh, very shortly. But I think that unfortunately we'll see a duplication of supply chains in some areas and we've seen it in semiconductors or healthcare. Like, so there are definitely some segments where there will be duplication and we're far from being done in that process. But I think Canada has um, long-term has, has, has a lot to, to benefit from, from those uh, trends. So it's, it's really interesting and a lot of Canadian investors uh, I think we all kind of think that we probably pay more attention to the Canadian markets than others because that's what you eat, sleep and breathe. So what have you noticed has changed about our economy and, and you know, the opportunities for you, say, over the last 20 years? Yeah, well, listen, uh, we, we've spoke during the pandemic, the pandemic because of zero interest rates. It brought a lot of new companies to get a listing in Canada. So a lot of IPOs. A lot of these companies were in the making for like 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, I've seen it post the tech bubble in Canada. There was nothing in technology anymore. It was a commodity super cycle, but the VC world um, was born at that time in Canada. And then like we've been able to invest and it's been a long-term process, long-term effort, but now it's paying up. We're seeing a lot of companies going public and not only technology, but other sectors as well. But I find the Canadian marketplace more diversified now than back in the 2000s or during the tech bubble. You know, remember Nortel was almost 50% of the index um, or during the super cycle, commodities were more than 50% of the index. So it was a full spectrum of like always a, almost like a monolithic market in Canada. But now like when you look at energy resources, et cetera, all in, it's not even 30% of the market. And then you've got the bank, maybe 25, well, sorry, financials all in, maybe 30%. And then you've got a lot of industrials um, and technology names. And, you know, look at Shopify. It started from zero. Now it's like one and 2% of the index. The railroads in Canada, like they've been stellar performers, like they're, they're growing their marketplace. Um, so there's a lot of winners uh, or companies that also over time found ways to diversify from a pure Canadian domestic economy. And think of, for instance, Kushtar, convenience store business. Canada now is not even 15% of sales. Like, um, so there's a lot, there are a lot of names that we do own in True North that are not 100% based on the Canadian domestic economy. And case in point, <laughs> I was shocked when I read that stat yesterday, but um, even the TSX, right? I'm talking about the corporation, which is listed in Canada under letter X. And I'm not saying if it's a buy or sell today, 
but they have diversified and made acquisitions of, of other companies worldwide. So to the point that now half the sales of the TSX come from outside Canada. Yeah, amazing diversification when you think about it and what's what's gone on. Just just go back to sort of that discussion, maybe it's for this as well, but of investment, private equity, VC investing at that level. I mean, how do you look? Can you invest in the private market? Do you look at the private market? Is it has it re-rated? We're, we're, we're still there. I mean, um, you know, the fund can own, I believe, up to 2% in, in non-public securities. And, and there are some investments in the fund. And uh, with some colleagues, we remain very active watching the landscape. And uh, we're still very um, happy about what we're seeing there. Of course, there might be a pause where there's obviously less IPOs, right, over the past 6, 12 months, as long as rates stay where they're at. Um, the market will probably trade sideways um, or go down a little bit. Like we'll see. I mean, uh, of course, there's been a there's been a euphoria in the marketplace over the past few months, right? Uh, on the back of lower, uh, well, earnings always being a bit less bad than expected, right? So, and Q4, which is being reported as we speak, in the U.S. on average, earnings are down two percent year over year. So it's an earnings recession, uh, but people are excited also because I think a few months ago, we were still very fearful that, for instance, um, in Europe, as a result of the war and the demand for natural gas, LNG, et cetera, like, we were afraid that they would be in a recession. And guess what? Like Natural gas, as you know, is very highly dependent on, on weather. And it seems like the weather, as we know, um, is very mild this year, and therefore Europe is not going to a recession because of higher prices, because natural gas prices over there just got crushed, right? So, um, but just to go back to your question, like the VC world, private equity, Canada is still very much um, an attractive market, and not only for Canadian players, but a lot of VCs from outside come here to to quote the next future brightest company, but. Still, many of them are still private, and uh, we watch them carefully. It's fascinating how, how all of this ultimately works. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, again, this question of the recession. So we started off introducing you and the topic today with all the central bank speak over the of the last several couple of weeks, and. It does. I mean, they're telling us that that rates could stay high. It's it's hard to know. Where does the recession discussion come into this for you? Well, listen, uh, my view has not very much changed over the past few months or year about how the next recession could look like. And of course, I don't have a crystal ball. It's personal opinion based on my own analysis of the marketplace. But I remember very well 2000, 2001, 2002. I mean, I was already running a diversified fund. And it was a mild recession at that time. Uh, Post-tech bubble, for sure, there were lots of layoffs in technology in the US and in Canada. You remember Nortel, JDS, Uniphase, etc. But the reality is that the rest of the economy was just getting started, um, not only because of China and the commodity super cycle, but also because interest rates were starting to go down. And it stimulated the housing market. And then, of course, lack of regulation brought a full-fledged bubble in housing in Canada later on uh, in in the U.S. Sorry, but uh, but I think that also the war effort uh, did stimulate the U.S. economy back then. 
uh, going into Afghanistan, Iraq, and and that's something that we don't talk very much right now. But again, sadly, if if the Ukraine conflict continues for longer, um, we're just starting to read the amount of money, like billions, that are being deployed by the Western world just to replenish their ammunitions and their arsenals. So it's it's um, it's mind-boggling, but those are large numbers that might also bring a soft landing uh, in place where I'm sure, you know, it's likely that the earnings recession that we've started to see two quarters ago will continue for a while, maybe two or three or four more quarters. And, but I think that different sectors will be impacted differently and on at a different point in time. And I think right now there was a lot of inventories, a lot of companies had overbooked <laughs> orders coming from China, for instance, where now they have to reduce inventories. Like the retail stores over the past like three, five months, like it's been, we've seen the headlines and they're going through that. And that's explaining also why freight rates from Maersk and all the large uh, shipping lanes, they're back to almost pre-COVID level because nobody's ordering from China right now. And, and we need that China recovery to come back. But I think people are a bit too optimistic about how it might look like. Right now, China is coming back, but it's a lot of services and, and pent-up demand for some type of goods. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be the same boom that um, we've seen in China at other point in times where there was massive stimulus from, from the government. So I think that, again, my scenario that I envision is we continue to go sideways. I don't know if we'll retest the low of October or if we might go a bit lower, listen, at some point, it takes a year to two years before interest rates truly impact the economy. And we'll start to see it. We're seeing it in housing, obviously in Canada, we're seeing it in housing in the US. It's gonna have an impact, but the silver lining is that due to demographics, uh, scarcity of labor uh, might prevail and in turns, create a scenario where maybe the economy is a bit more resilient in a downturn for the next downturn. So let's stick with housing and and into the financials there. Um, so, you know, if <laughs> there's lots of ifs, but but if that yeah. is the case, I mean, perhaps housing is OK, perhaps financials as an investment are OK. Well, listen, I think we're, we have to be careful here. Like, um, first of all, banks in Canada have to build higher provisions. Like the, the provision for loan losses, potential loan losses are at the bottom. So obviously everything is cyclical. Um, and it doesn't mean that they'll go, that they'll revert back to a high, but they have to normalize somewhat given where we're at. And loan growth is slowing down, right? Mortgage growth is slowing down. Um, and of course, it's not gonna impact everyone to the same tune. Lots of people, I've already paid their houses. Like it's an aging population. So most of them, they're done. They own their house. Maybe they'll downsize at some point. I think unfortunately it's harsh for a younger couple that wants to access properties, but obviously it's a pyramid, right? The marginal buyer sets the price for the whole uh, inventory of housing out there. So for sure, it's, it might, it will continue to deflate for a while. But what I want to remind investors is that typically in history, Defaults on mortgages in Canada, it really starts when unemployment gets to 7%-ish, 7 to 8%. We're pretty far from that level. 
So I think people will definitely cut back on maybe the car or the vacation before defaulting on their house. So I think that there's nothing new here. Um, and I think we're far from that level, but I think there'll be better entry points for some type of financials and including the banks. But having said that, there are Canadian banks also that are also very involved in the US or they're international. So we need to watch also what's going on in the US or other marketplaces. So I'm not, you know, and just an interesting stat also that we've read recently. So now in Canada, 60% of disposable income goes to the housing bucket. So paying your mortgages and other stuff related to housing. The last time we saw that stat up to 60%, you have to go back to 1990. And we do remember in the early 90s, the recession was pretty harsh in Canada, but there were a confluence of, of different factors. It was the free trade that just got started, the introduction of GST uh, and the provincial taxes. Like there, there were a lot of stuff going on. And the US also was going through a tough time. So exports to the US was difficult. The Canadian dollar was very low, depressed actually. So um, it's not what I foresee at this point, but I think we have to be selective. And I think that the financial risk or what's related to housing, for sure it's gonna get a bit more difficult from where we are today. But again, I try, I mean, True North and my investment philosophy has always been about usually particular stocks, companies that can continue to grow and benefit from higher revenues, higher based on the higher market share or new products, companies that can grow margin, uh, companies that export. And we still have so many companies that do not rely 100% on the Canadian eases. And look, the next shoe to drop, if rates stay longer, higher for longer, and again, this will be subject to employment strength. And as you know, you mentioned that last Friday, payroll in the US was much stronger than expected, but, but we don't know sure, when your eyes pop out too. I think everyone sure. uh, I was a bit surprised and, um, but, and we're, but we're starting to see layoffs, but that's not over. And we need a lot more layoffs to see unemployment going higher by hundred basis point. But, um, you know, this will gradually <laughs> comes in and uh, but the the governments at some point will have to be careful because these interest rates will be more expensive for the debt but thank god a lot of corporations and lots of governments also been extending the maturities and i think that's why also we've not seen uh, a catastrophe within the credit world up to now interesting yeah that's really interesting actually because that's um, something that you might expect in in such a, I mean, it's just phenomenal how high rates have climbed in a year, as yeah. you well know. Um, let's let's go to the commodity side of things. So, uh, you you pointed out that Canada is kind of the mirror image in terms of commodities, as is Russia. So as that comes off the global market and continues to come out. Uh, Canada sort of stand, stands to gain from that. What about some of the other pieces, the less macro pieces to the story for commodities, the the capex story, yeah. for instance? Yeah. Listen, the ongoing trend of renewable energy, it continues, right? Um, we've been debating about fossil fuel, of course, and the whole ESG thesis, but of course now because of the war, there's a new angle, which is about energy security. So we believe that oil, if, if we have a mild recession, 
it's likely that oil prices are not going to go as low as what we've seen in 08, 09. And if oil stays above like 50 bucks, plenty of companies in Canada will break even or still make a profit. Uh, you've got those LNG, uh, those gas, natural gas companies that found ways to export their gas to terminals in the U.S. that in turn convert that into liquid gas and they export. So as a result, they get a better price. So listen, that's fossil fuel. So it's, it's, it seems like at least for now, and if Russia has to cut back on production, that would just be a bonus, especially if China recovers, right? So demand might increase. Um, so we'll see. But to answer your question, the renewable trend will continue and the investment in solar, wind, hydro, et cetera, this is ongoing. This will continue. Those are long-term projects. It requires a lot of metals. And Canada has plenty of companies in, in that sphere. And uh, so we continue to get involved. Of course, as I said, there are there could be a secular trend, but there will be cycles around those. And uh, when I feel that the stock price is, is definitely too high or stretched out, you got to take a little bit of profit because those are cyclical names, of course. Uh, um, so it's not like an, owning an industrial companies for 10 years. Um, it's a different beast. So commodities, as you know, have always treated that differently from a risk point of view compared to consumer stocks, technology stocks, industrial stocks, names that don't necessarily depend on the third derivative based on commodity prices. So when you look at the markets right now, because, you know, there's always uh, enough gloom and doom. And, and also in the last month, there's been a lot of, I mean, it's been almost surprisingly strong equity markets. So there's a little bit of both. Do, do you, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like you're stepping, you know, off a cliff of something that doesn't look very good compared to perhaps last cycles? Or where does this fit? Well, maybe I should show you the floor here. There are plenty of eggshells. So it's like walking <laughs> on eggs every day I come in the office. And, and trust me, I come to the office every day. But the, the reality is, listen, it's been a massive rally. Uh, number one, people have to understand that uh, it's JP Morgan that uh, sent us a chart on this. Retail activity uh, within daily volumes in the U.S. is back to 20%. So this is back at the peak of um, the pandemic. And this is actually higher than what we saw during the tech bubble of 2000. So small investors are, are back on, risk on. People think that because inflation is going down, the Fed will have to back off and reduce rates. And I don't think everybody understands the ramification of longer rates that are higher for longer. And, and of course, that might continue for a while. I mean, when there's an ongoing trend and because earnings are not as bad as uh, expected, people jump on the bandwagon and it's always attractive. But at some point, um, it has to come back to earth. And, and then the second aspect related to this euphoria is there were so many believers in a upcoming recessions and lots of hedge funds were so short, like the, the, in terms of positioning in the market, Short, uh, people were very short the market, and unfortunately, because these earnings are not always as bad as expected, they just kept on covering themselves. So I've seen weird phenomenon this time around that I don't remember, but companies missing expectation, missing earnings, you would think that naturally these stocks would go down on that announcement. Well, actually, they were going up because there were too many shorts on these names, and they cover their shorts. 
So it comes and go. Um, and um, as, as we'll continue to see the progression of the, that slow decline in earnings, uh, depending on where rates are, um, I think that we're likely to go sideways or to maybe go lower again. But before this happens, you never know. That could be a melt-up for all kinds of reasons. I've seen it before. Um, I remember very well, 2000, 2001, it took like two or three bear market rallies before we really saw the end of that tech bubble correction. Um, same thing, remember 2006, 2007, 2008, it took two and a half years before getting a recession during that time, despite the fact that we had a commercial paper crisis, mortgage-backed securities, massive issues, all-time high on oil prices, which really impacted the consumer at that time. Um, so it could take more time before we see, um, you know, the slowdown coming through in a, in a stronger way. So I think that we have to remain very agile. The focus is still on quality. I mean, of course, Canada is not a wide marketplace. So I'm always involved in some turnarounds or a bit of lower quality names. But as you know, I'm diversified. I own some small and mid cap names also that can continue to grow no matter what happened maybe in the economy so sometimes it's just based on a new product or you know there are some medical technology companies that are trying to revolutionize some platforms so etc like there's always something going on and i still have about eight percent cash and that gives me room to maneuver if there's a really tough day out there and some names are close to their bottom i can be very active but to illustrate the fact that I'm not necessarily ultra bearish or negative to that tune, like back in 2000, 2001, there were times where I was at 20% cash. Same thing in 08. I remember um, some of my funds were close to 20% cash. But at that time, I had a strong conviction that the economy would be in a really tough time or valuations were so way too extreme also combined with the economy. But um, so I'm maybe a little bit more... Uh, neutral, but I do expect turbulence. Um, I don't think we're out of the woods. Really interesting. Tell us, just um, to give us a sense of what, you know, why Canadians want to invest in Canada, but also how international investors might be looking at Canada right now. How do we look to the outside world? Yeah. Uh, listen, I've not seen the latest stats in terms of international investors' involvement. Um, I know that, for instance, in energy, oil, gas, and metals, like there, there are international investors coming back. I think probably post um, the Ukraine, uh, the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Um, but um, I think I think Canada is always being downplayed, you know, like uh, for the for a very long time. And um, sometimes you have to stick your knittings or watch what you have in your own backyard and. And as I said, I think the, the Canadian economy continues to diversify, and it's not only a natural resources play, but if it were to be strong natural resources for the next five years, I'll take it. It's just going to be a bonus, right? But I'm I'm still very happy, as I said, about what we see in terms of technology names or industrial names, and and even in boring industry. Again, like not to repeat myself, but what CP and CN have done. It's very interesting what Transforce has done, buying a, a large division of UPS. So there are a lot of companies that generate cash flow and can acquire or buy back their stocks. I think it's really 
based on stock picking and how do you address risk in your portfolio? And I think we can continue, hopefully, to do a, a great job. Um, and, and time will tell if we can continue to deliver this with uh, a lower risk than owning the market or an ETF. What do you want to leave people with, Max? Just just uh, sort of reminding people to take a look at Canada. But, you know, what's out there? Is it is it a little bit going back in time here to some of the basics? I think it's, um, you know, I might sound very boring, but my mentor taught me one thing in 1996. It was the perfect timing doesn't exist. Um, and you need experience over time in order to to learn the market. And you got to be diversified. Um, when you manage a well-diversified fund, there will always be winners in great sectors and in bad sectors. And you never know when they're going to shine. Um, and I've always tried to manage a well-diversified portfolio. And of course, sometimes I'm massively underweight or overweight. Um, certain sectors. So it's not close at indexing. And as you know, I pay attention to the absolute risk. And when the market goes down, I try my best to protect investors without being, you know, all in cash. But um, I think being diversified in many sectors um, and paying attention also to what's going on around the globe, because it's, it's un unfortunately, since the Berlin walls fell, it's, we're, we're witnessing the ongoing of this global trend that we've that my generation has known for 25 years and it's it's we don't know yet all the ramifications and and maybe it's going to get better maybe it's going to stop and um, some countries will get back together and work for a better future but i think where we stand today um i, I truly believe that canada is in a good spot and and as long as we continue to remain diversified and Maybe not betting all your eggs in, on the Canadian consumer or the Canadian domestic economy, but per se, we, I think Canada has a lot to offer. That's great. Max, it's super to get an update from you and to see you and have a conversation with you. Thank you very much for joining us here. Pleasure online. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.